Saturday at 6. It's time for your weekly music and entertainment fix. Backstage with Sinead Nivorda. With all the best music, interviews, and live sessions. Live from the Radio Nova studios in the Dublin Docklands. Hello, very good evening. You are very welcome backstage on this Saturday evening with the album Slimy Stream from the Smashing Pumpkins having turned 23 this week. I'm marking this occasion by looking at this iconic grunge album. So you'll be going behind the scenes on this album with Pumpkins frontman Billy Corgan who'll be revealing the pressures the band felt at the time of recording and of the positive aspect of how his band members helped push him as an artist. You'll be hearing from super producer Butch Vig who cites this album as his proudest accomplishment. Also sharing their love for the album will be Tanya Sweeney, journalist with the Irish Times and Irish Independent. Conor McCaffrey of The Star will also be revealing why this record connected for him. And of course, he'll also have the tips on the gigs to check out over the coming week. Plus, of course, I'll be playing the tracks from this amazing album. And I'll be throwing in an 80s song for the weekend that's in it. Backstage on Radio Nova. Siamese Dream is the follow-up to the debut album Gish from the Smashing Pumpkins. It was released on the 27th of July in 1993 on Virgin Records. The album fused diverse influences such as grunge, shoegazing, dream pop, heavy metal and progressive rock. The album debuted at number 10 on the Billboard charts in America. It reached the top 10 in the UK, uh, in Canada, Australia and New Zealand. It went on to sell over 4 million copies in the US and over 6 million worldwide, cementing the Smashing Pumpkins as an important group on alternative rock music. Siamese Dream has been widely regarded as one of the best albums of the 1990s and one of the best albums of all time. Definitely my opinion anyway. In 2003, Rolling Stone magazine ranked it number 362 on their list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. So the only way to kickstart this anniversary special is with the kicker of an album opener. From the Smashing Pumpkins, this is Cherub Rock on Radio Nova.
What a song and what an opener for an album that is the opening track on Simon Stream from the Smashing Pumpkins Cherub Rock as it is a Simon Stream anniversary special on backstage this evening. Now you're about to hear from Billy Corgan, frontman of the Smashing Pumpkins. And here you get to hear, I guess, the background to what the band were going through, the pressure they felt post-release of their debut album, Gish. He talks about the inspiration behind the songs and he also talks about the 2011 reissue version of Simon Stream. After Gish came out, we toured approximately 14 months on the album. We were very aware that there was going to be an expectation placed on us, particularly because we knew that our next album would be coming out on a major label. The only way the song seemed to improve and the only way I saw any emotion coming out of my band was when I was able to write a song that was really close to myself. And it was in that period that I started writing songs like Today and Disarm and Cherub Rock Songs that really express my frustration, my hopes, my fears, my dreams, blah, blah, blah. I just spent the last two or three years of my life trying to figure out how to be a psychedelic kind of brain crusher, you know, with this explosive band, and suddenly all those things were the exact opposite of what needed to happen. And somehow along the way, I knew I needed to write a different level of songs. Siamese Dream is beautiful to this extent. We did have hit songs on the record, but we were, they were defiantly our hit song. And I think that's why the album is endured and is significant, because it was both a commercial record and a mainstream record, and at the same time, it was very much our own record, and we insisted on that. And we were lucky to work with somebody like Butch, who backed us up, and of course, very lucky to work with Alan Mulder. Alan, Butch, and I mixed the record. And so, top to bottom, it was an effort to both meet the challenge, but meet the challenge in our own unique way. As far as the reissue goes with the extra tracks on the bonus disc, some of the tracks have been remixed. So I think it was really great that Butch took the time to sit down using modern technology and create what I would call a more definitive version. In the case of some of the tracks that Carrie Brown remixed, Carrie was able to go back to the original tapes and probably put more care and attention to those mixes than we were able at the time. It all added up to something that has a very aspirational quality to it, and I think that's why many people still identify with the record, because it has a hope to it, and it has a yearning to it, and it has a reaching for something bigger than who you really are quality. For us personally, that was the end of the garage, the end of the of the small club, the end of that sort of moment of innocence. And that's when you start to realize that you're connecting to a whole bigger world than the one that you're used to. It's a very strange, surreal experience that you can only have once. Radio Nova. And you'll be hearing more from Billy Corgan a little bit later on in the show. You'll also be hearing from Tanya Sweeney, journalist with the Irish Times and the Irish Independent on why the album Siamese Dream connected with her. You'll also be hearing the beautiful tracks Luna and Disarm very shortly, but now you're going to be hearing from Butch Vig, the legendary American musician and record producer. He's a drummer and co-producer of Garbage and a super producer who has worked his magic on albums from Sonic Youth, Foo Fighters, L7, Green Day and of course with Nirvana on Nevermind. In 2012, Enemy ranked 
Butch Vig at number nine in their top 50 greatest producers ever list. And when I spoke to him recently, I asked him when looking back on the incredible and pivotal albums he's worked on, what was the album that he was most proud of? And we replied with Siamese Dream from the Smashing Pumpkins. Also, he offered the fact that the track Disarm was the golden moment from those recording sessions. Every record is like a child in some way. Yeah. Um, they're all, they all have their unique identity and obviously the artists I work with all have a really strong and also unique identity. Um, I mean, I'm, I am really proud of Siamese Dream. That was a really tough mm-hmm. record to make. The song on there that still sort of pushes my... Um, you know, pushes the hair on the back of my neck up is uh, Disarm because that was uh, probably one of the toughest tracks in that record. We kept putting it off while we were recording it because it just didn't sound right with the band playing it live. It didn't have the right feel. and uh, So it was very much toward the end of the recording sessions and uh, we still hadn't tracked it. And, and after doing another attempt with the full band, Billy got frustrated and came in the control and he just started playing it on acoustic guitar. And I said, why don't we just record it like that? And, no way. Uh, so I recorded him on acoustic and then we sort of built up the track very slowly with uh, some keyboards and some percussion and things. And um, and then we decided to put strings on it and we had uh, a friend, a couple of friends from Billy's come down, a cello player and a, and a violin player, and we were just going to keep it real simple, a quartet, but it didn't sound powerful enough. And since it was just the two of them, we overdubbed like 20-plus tracks of uh, cello and, and the violin. Probably, there were probably 40 tracks in total. And we were writing the arrangement on the spot. You know, Billy and I were sitting with him. You know, and we, we, neither of us are, had really done any uh, string arranging, so that was, um, it, it just took a while to sort of put that together. But I just love the, the way that track feels, the sound of it, and... And I think Billy's singing is incredibly emotional on it. And uh, I still, I, that's still my favorite song on uh, Siamese Stream. Yeah, wow, what a great story. I didn't realize that. It, so it would have been electric initially before he went for the acoustic. Yeah, like most of their songs that we'd, that we'd set up in the big room, they would track them live. And um, yeah. so Jimmy was playing a drum kit and, uh, you know, Darcy had her big bass rig on. They were trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, I was too. We're trying to figure out how to make the song sound right. And, mm-hmm. and that's the only way we knew it was with the full band sort of rocking it. And, uh, and then it just didn't work. And, and finally we just, like I said, we just stripped it all down and started with an acoustic guitar and then built it all up from there and, and it sounded perfect. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a stunning nugget of a perfect song. It really is absolutely stunning. Um, and what did um, Smashing Pumpkins do for fun when it came to taking time out from recording? Uh, they didn't really go out and have much fun. No, <laughs> we, we would we, we'd be in the studio from noon till two a.m. Uh, oh wow, seven days a week. Jimmy Chamberlain would go out when he was when he wasn't doing drum tracks. He would go out and he got into a lot of trouble for that, just because <laughs> he was always carousing and uh, hanging with unsavory characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but Billy and I were just uh, you know uh, studio rats yeah. and. Uh, and, and Darcy and James were always hanging around the studio too. So it was, uh, that's really all we did. You know, we didn't, yeah. we, uh, all I remember from it when we, we recorded that in Atlanta was just being in the studio 24 7.
such a stunning track disarmed from the Smashing Pumpkins on Radio Nova and taken from the phenomenal 1993 album Siamese Dream which celebrates its 23rd anniversary and of course that was the song that Butch Fig mentioned was the golden shining moment from the recording sessions on Siamese Dream so you'll be hearing from Conor McCaffrey of The Star and he'll be gushing on why he loved this album you'll also be hearing more from Billy Corrigan but now I am joined by Tani Sweeney journalist with the Irish Times and the Irish Independent Tani thanks so much for joining me backstage what was it about this album that connected with you it's a really funny thing because I had gotten Gish a couple of years previously oh. and heard it for the first time in school and I went to like a convent you know so it really <laughs> was you know especially given the the surroundings that I first listened to the album it was completely mind-blowing and it, it was like it really was a moment where the world you know ch- changed into color you know from mm. black and white it was like that moment in the Wizard of Oz it was just incredible but the beautiful thing about Siamese Dream was that it kind of um, fulfilled the promise that, you know, Smashing Pumpkins had laid out in that first album. You know, there was a lot of noise, a lot of grit, and a lot of beauty in the first album. And then it was even more nuanced. And there were, you know, there was obviously, a, um, you know, a fantastic budget and a great producer in Butch Fake there. So, you know, I mean, it was, it was just one of those albums where it, it was a band really hitting their stride, as far as I could see. But just on a personal level, I mean, I went off um, that summer, I went away to the south of France on one of those, you know, exchanges that you do with French students yeah. and I felt really alone and isolated and I didn't speak the language and I brought this and Dinosaur Juniors where you've been. I bought them in the airport <laughs> and I mean they were just the you know, I mean, especially Siamese Dream. It was just such a fantastic album to lose yourself in at the time you know um and it kind of had everything it had the pop it had the 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 jaunty rock and all that but it also had these really stunning you know like um soma my god what a song unbelievable Aww. i think the first time i ever heard that it was just like seeing god you know it was <laughs> absolutely amazing you know but then it also had you know cherub rock and disarm and and i think you know this was the album really that brought them into the into the uh, mainstream, or at least into sort of, you know, college rock, um, into, into you know, uh, centre stage, really, you know? Yeah, it's, I can totally relate to the whole, you know, being a teenager and connecting with something like that. It's a really great way of you putting it. It's saying mm. suddenly it went from black and white starting to colour. And it was a thing that I loved, just coming home from school and sticking on, just getting absolutely lost in. And, and for me, it just felt like, it actually felt like a spiritual connection. And it, I know it probably sounds a bit crazy, but it absolutely, for me, was a, 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 yeah, spiritual a salvation or something. But uh, for me, you mentioned Soma. I remember when, did you see them in the SFX in Dublin when they played? Oh, I did. Oh, like, you're probably there. I don't, you probably, do you remember a screaming, crying girl outside? That was me. Because I couldn't get in. <laughs> I went, they were playing two nights in a row. I went the first night and I was trying to get a ticket for that night. Couldn't get in. Um, and people were offering tickets for the next night. And I thought, nah, I'm going to get in tonight. Yeah. Egypt. Should have just gotten the ticket and went, Daddy, I definitely have it. So I go you off. You don't know uh, when you're a kid either, you're a kid, do you? you know, know. It's one of those things that you think it'll all work out and, and, and yeah. definitely fans and all that. But exactly. no, they, were, they were fantastic. I think Ash actually were the support if memory serves. Man! Um, oh my God, they screaming. were! Pardon? They were! I forgot that they were, yeah! That's right, yeah. And I mean, I kept screaming because I am, you know, I'm, I was a hipster even back then. I was like, I'm <laughs> an authoress from Gish, you know, and um, yeah, I, I just wasn't going to be sad. They didn't play it in the end, so I was a little bit peeved. But the funny thing was, I was in Seattle in March and I saw Smashing Pumpkins um, in Seattle and it was a really interesting experience. Obviously, it's 23 years after Siamese Dream. And 
what they were doing on this North American tour is taking an album every every kind of week and giving it a kind of a a 21st yes. century rinse, shall we, shall we say. But, you saw them I mean, in Seattle? I saw them in Seattle, yeah. Wow. It was fantastic. And I, weirdly enough, I actually stayed in the apartment that the department block that they shot singles at. So it was a real <laughs> sort of return to those kind of... Um, grungy years for me. It was a really fantastic trip, actually. Oh, how amazing that must have been. You know, Billy Corgan's now, you know, I think 52, 53, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. He had a child about six months ago, you know. So, I mean, I remember listening to it. It was a seated um, theatre date. And it was just very sort of dad rock. And Billy busted out a few dad rock moves. And I was like, where is the band? There was Mm. none of James E. has like razored guitars. There was none of that really hefty bass. Like, you know, none of the band, as far as I could make out, were there. There was a lot of other sort of musicians. I think James Ehan might have joined the tour a little later on. Because weren't they um, touring, weren't himself and Jimmy Chamberlain touring together? Well, Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy yeah. is it now in the Smashing Pumpkins. Darcy, alas, is nowhere to be seen. And James yeah. Ehan joined the tour later on. Yeah. So, but it was just yeah. a very different, there was a few more musicians. I think it might have been about six or seven people on the stage, you know. And um, but they took they've taken out that really loud grungy rock guitar and they've made it a little more nuanced, you know. And the the beautiful thing, and I think this is the point I was going to make, is that the the foundation of the songs is still there, Aww. and that's you know, they, so it's really stood up, you know. And it just goes to show that you know, um, Corgan and Jamesy, who who were the two writers on Siamese Dream, they they were obviously you know fantastic even back then. It's hard to fathom, yeah, how their songwriting partnership produced such amazing, amazing music. Going back to SFX, I got in on the second mm. night. I was outside trying to get tickets, couldn't get tickets, and I was crying to the security guards, like, here's all my babysitting money, let me in. And eventually they took pity on me as I was bawling outside. And I got off the front and I was like, Soma! Play Soma! <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember if they played Soma or not. I, I can't even remember. I was just bewitched and betranced, and oh, it was just amazing, yeah. amazing. I know, it was, it was a really great show, and I mean, it was, they were heady times if you were a, a rock fan, you know, they really were, you know. Yeah. Oh, incredible. Man, what an amazing album. I'm going to have to stick it on back to front. And... <laughs> yeah, I might have to do the same. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, Tanya Swinney, thank you so much for joining me on Nova today. Thank you.